Well, hello, good afternoon, Next Gen. My name is Andre. I'm a pastor here in a church called The City. So privileged to be with you this afternoon for your service. Thanks so much, Pastor Joey, for inviting me to be a part of it. And so today I've been invited to speak to you on the subject of mental health. Now, this won't be a conventional kind of teaching by way of uh, you know, diving into scripture and expositing verse by verse, which is my typical style. But today, you know, we'll just be talking a bit about what mental health is, some of the struggles, and I'll share a bit of my own personal stories and cast a vision for what our church communities can be. Now, first off, I'd like to say there's no way that we can cover the entire breadth and complexity of mental health in just a 30-minute message. And I'm thankful to hear that this is going to be a series. We're going to have more speakers speak into it, and they'll be they'll covering different angles from here and there. And I'm so glad to hear that. But my heart for you in this talk is that you would, uh, as a community, grow to have a burden for those who struggle, for those who battle with mental health conditions, that you will grow to be a community that is accepting, that is warm, that is embracing, that is transformational for people who struggle. But my heart is also for those of you who are struggling right now. You yourself struggle with your mental health and you know it, you battle with bouts of anxiety, of depression, and you are struggling and you might not be known in the community. You might be tucked away and hidden and nobody knows that you struggle. And my heart for you in this talk is that you would discover a renewed hope that can only come through the Holy Spirit, that you would come to a place of great hope once again. You might be in despair now, but my heart for you is through this time together, through the Spirit that is in all of us, you would come to a place of renewed hope and vision for your life. And so let us begin with a word of prayer as we jump into this shortly. Father, we thank you for your presence. And God, we thank you that though we are physically apart this day, we are united, we are one through your spirit and through your word. And God, we ask even as we gather today around this subject of mental health, God, we ask beyond just statistics and expert opinions, we will be informed by your word and we will be informed by your spirit. God, we recognize that men are not transformed by the eloquence of preaching or by the depth of research, but we are transformed by your Spirit. So Spirit of God, we ask that you'll come, breathe upon us new life, breathe upon us and inspire new hope in our hearts. We yield to you this day and we ask that you come and meet us in all of our rooms, all over Singapore this day. We invite you, come and lead this time. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Now, when I think of the words uh, mental health and I think of the challenges that people face, I am reminded of this verse uh, in the Gospel of Mark. It says this, uh, it's Jesus' words. He says that it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And I pray that we would rediscover our role as believers, as the church. That the church is not just to be a place where we celebrate and learn and have fun. But the church is to, in many ways, be a place for the broken, be a place for those who are hurting, be in place for those, be a place for those who are sick and in need of a savior. Now, first off, I'd like to say this: you know, I'm not a doctor. I don't have a doctor in front of my name. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a psychologist. Uh, I am just a follower of Jesus. You know, aside from what I do for a job, you know, I am a follower of Jesus. I 
pursue Jesus to the best of my ability with all my heart, soul, mind and strength. And I'm just a follower of Jesus who had a battle in the mind, you know, who went through some of these conditions and I'm still trying to learn how to best manage them. And I'm just sharing from the lessons I've learned. There are still days where I fight these battles. But for the most part, you know, God is doing a new work in me. He's making me a new man. Now, first off, I'd like to show you a picture. And now this picture is of the actor Robin Williams. And I don't know how many of you know who Robin Williams is. Uh, it might be a bit dated if you're young. I'm so sorry. But Robin Williams, he starred in movies like Flubber, Mrs. Doubtfire, Jumanji. And I'm not talking about The Rock, Kevin Hart kind of Jumanji. I'm talking about the OG Jumanji, the best Jumanji. That is Robin Williams, and he starred in that movie. Now, Robin Williams is an actor, but he's also a comedian, really, really funny guy, larger-than-life kind of personality. But, uh, you know, tragically, in 2014, he took his own life. He committed suicide after a long bout of depression. Beneath that personality, this larger-than-life kind of smile that we see in this picture, and this kind of personality that brought us so much laughter and joy, resided a kind of deep pain. Uh, Dave Iskoff, the author of a biography on Robin Williams, writes this, We can't predict the entirety of a person from the portion of the image we see on TV, or in writing, or on social media. The reality is that it's only a fraction of who they are, the part of themselves they choose to put out and share. I'd like to suggest to you that there's more beneath the surface. The question to us today that I'd like to pose is what's beneath the surface? What resides under the smile, the persona that you put up. Maybe you are like him, you know, you are a larger-than-life personality. You light up the entire room with your jokes, with your personality, with your stories. But beneath all of that, beneath the facade you put out, might reside a deeper pain. What's beneath the surface? Now, first off, we need to define what is mental illness and the disorders that we we, we, we term and we use so often. Now, let's first off admit to say that the words depression, anxiety get thrown out really often these days. Uh, sometimes, you know, you might be feeling a little sad and you might use the word depressed. And sometimes you might feel a little worried and you might use the word I am anxious or I have anxiety or I'm having a panic attack. And so it's really important for us to come back to definitions of what these conditions and disorders actually are. So first off, depression, it is a noun and uh, it's defined as such, severe despondency and dejection, typically felt over a period of time and accompanied by feelings of hopelessness and inadequacy. Now to me, depression is when sorrow, sadness becomes your way of life. It is not a phase, right? You know, there are days where we are happy, but there are also days where we are sad. But depression is entirely different. It's when sorrow, sadness, deep, deep sadness becomes your way of life, your constant companion. It's when joy, hope, and life are snuffed out from your soul, when you're sad for no reason at all, when no matter how hard you try, you fight or work, you can't pull yourself out of that state. That is depression. You wake up sad and the day grows worse and worse and worse by the hour. That is depression. Second uh, condition I like to bring up is anxiety. It's a feeling of worry, nervousness or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. It's a nervous disorder characterized by a state of excessive uneasiness and apprehension, typically with compulsive behavior and or panic attacks. It is when fear becomes perverted and warped into something long-lasting, drawn out, that you end up with something called anxiety. 
Anxiety is when fear takes over your mind. Anxiety is what is when the what ifs, when the different scenarios of life suffocate your brain. Anxiety is when you can't fall asleep at night. Anxiety is when your mind won't turn off. Anxiety is when your imagination runs haywire with no boundaries or limit. Anxiety is when your chest gets tight and you find it hard to breathe. Anxiety is when your lungs speed up to a frenetic pace. You can't keep up and you feel your entire chest exploding. You are losing all sense of control. Your mind starts running while your world is spinning out of control. That is what anxiety is. Those are the two conditions. In a local study, it's reported that about one in seven Singaporeans has experienced some kind of depressive mood or anxiety disorder at some point of their lives. One in seven Singaporeans. Now, despite the prevalence of these conditions, people with mental illness in Singapore still face constant stigma, people still look at them a certain way, and because of that, many of them end up not getting any kind of professional help or treatment. A 2016 study found that the majority of people with a mental disorder in their lifetime do not seek professional help. And over the last three years, there's been an annual increase of 7% of people who have professed mental conditions, mental unhealth. Well, the Organization Samaritans of Singapore, an uh, organization that has devoted itself to uh, providing emotional support uh, to those who are thinking and contemplating suicide, uh, has these statistics. It says that suicide is the leading cause of death for those aged 10 to 29. There are 2.5 more, times more deaths from suicide than transport accidents in 2017. 361 lives were lost to suicide in 2017. And for every suicide, at least six suicide survivors are left behind. Now, those are some concerning stats about the state of mental health in our world today. Mental health and its struggles, uh, it's not a myth. It is not uh, restricted to a small population. It is prevalent. It is everywhere. And I'm pretty sure that there is a sizable number and population of you in this ministry that struggle with some kind of mental unhealth. First of all, I'd like to dispel some common misconceptions surrounding mental health. The first myth is this, that mental illnesses are not real medical illnesses like heart disease and diabetes. People who have them are just crazy or sick, right? But the fact is this, that mental disorders are real medical illnesses, right? Much like heart disease and diabetes. Research shows that they are, they are proper genetic and biological causes for mental illness and uh, they can also be you know upbringing and unfortunate circumstances that might drive these illnesses to the surface uh, it is a fact that it is a real medical condition the next myth is this that people with mental illnesses are violent and dangerous but the fact is uh is the opposite, that people with mental illness are no more violent than the general population. In fact, they are far more susceptible. There are far more uh, people with mental conditions that are victims of abuse and violence uh, than the other. And the next myth is this, that people with mental illnesses are poor and or less intelligent. But the fact is this, mental illness like physical illness can affect anyone regardless of intelligence, social class or income. Famous people who struggle with mental health are people like Abraham Lincoln, Winston Churchill, Beethoven, Ernest Hemingway, these are some people who profess to struggle with some kind of mental health condition. And the next myth is this, mental illnesses are uncommon. But the fact is this, four of the 10 leading causes of disability worldwide are mental disorders. It's far more common than we think it to be. And the last myth is this, the myth is this, as long as I'm a good, mature, and faith-filled Christian, 
I would not be susceptible to mental illness. But the fact is this, many Christians, including pastors, battle with mental illness. That is a fact. All throughout scripture, we see biblical figures that we admire, that we glean from, that we are inspired by struggling with conditions in their mind, struggling with a battle in their mind. We see biblical figures such as David, Job, Elijah, and Jonah dealing with deep feelings of despair, of anger, depression, anxiety, and loneliness. If you struggle today, I'd like to put it to you that you are in good company. Now, I'm not saying that all of mental illness is a kind of spiritual condition. There are many factors that drive uh, these conditions, right? From upbringing to circumstance to biological, neurological um, factors. But, you know, when we often think of spiritual warfare, we think of, you know, a guy in a red costume with a pitchfork and we like rebuke and we bind and we do all that kind of stuff, right? We think of the devil as like being an embodied person that we like point to, rebuke, and, and we, we, we bind and we war against that kind of devil. But scripture seems to tell us differently that the battle is not so much with, the, our primary battlefield is not so much you know, against a particular person, but our primary battlefield for Christians is in the mind. Paul tells us this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every captive, t- take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And so Paul seems to suggest to us that one of the primary battlefields for the Christian is in our mind. Is in our mind that today, we are fighting a battle, whether you are aware of it or not. You are fighting a battle in your mind that there are thoughts that are coming against you. Thoughts that are trying to lay a foothold in your mind today that are not your own. You know, the, the enemy seeks to sow thoughts to bring discord, to bring despair, to bring depression and anxiety in your mind. And one of the ways we fight against the enemy Yes, we pray, yes, we intercede, but one of the ways that Scripture tells us that we fight against the enemy is when we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And this is a charge, this is a call for all of us as believers to think seriously about our mind and to uh, think about what we think about in many ways. We are called to fight for mental health in this regard. Now I'd like to move on with uh, sharing a bit of my own personal story. I have a picture for you. There's a picture of me in secondary school. You can tell uh, I am a really cheerful and happy boy. Just kidding. I look like I had my money stolen from me and beaten up seven times and this is how I ended up. Uh, you know, for most of my life, I really struggled being a happy person. I had a fantastic childhood. You know, my parents, you know, really, uh, you know, provided a whole lot for me. We had holidays and all that kind of stuff. But I wouldn't say I had a happy childhood, not because of circumstance, but because I just struggled with being a happy boy, a happy person. Now, as I grew older, you know, I noticed that this kind of sadness and melancholy uh, morphed into something a bit more serious. You know, I was really critical of myself, you know, I was uh, really uh, angry myself all the time. I thought I wasn't performing enough, you know, I was uh, perfectionist in every sense of the word. And, you know, I was driving myself into becoming a version of myself which I knew was unattainable. And this drove even more sadness, melancholy, and criticalness uh, upon myself. And this paved the way into me becoming someone who was driven, 
deeply obsessed with performance and yet at the same time deeply insecure and anxious. And everything came to a head when I felt uh, there was something wrong with my body. You know, uh, three years ago, I became the lead pastor of this church. You know, and when I became the lead pastor of this church, uh, like you know, many young people, I was obsessed with uh, doing a whole lot to prove myself. You know, I wanted to prove to people all around me that I was the right man, the right person for the job. And so I would push myself silly, at the same time battling with these feelings of anxiety, of a fear of not being enough, of not performing well enough. And so you know, I was pushing myself in a really, really um, uh, dysfunctional way. I remember at that point of time, you know, I was sleeping anywhere from three to four hours, uh, not because uh, the work was uh, overwhelming, it was because you know, I couldn't stop thinking in my head of how people uh, perceived me and whether they thought I was a good enough pastor. I was sleeping anywhere from three to four hours every night for the entire uh, first year of my time as lead pastor. And because of that kind of bad sleeping habit, I would uh, end up, you know, snacking really late in the night. You know, I would make a pack of noodles or order, you know, some kind of food and I'll be eating, eating, eating at all these like, ungodly timings and it became really, really dysfunctional. Now, uh, because of that, you know, I slowly, gradually felt there was something off in my body. I decided to go for a blood test and get it all checked out. At the same time, you know, I remember waking up in the middle of the night, uh, having these anxiety and panic attacks. I would wake up in the middle of the night, uh, completely drenched in sweat, my heart completely racing, my chest feeling like it was going to explode out of my chest. I was having these panic attacks that were driven from just anxiety and a, uh, a dysfunctional uh, drive for performance. Now everything came to a head you know, after I got back the blood re test results. I remember that fateful day I was in this hall, this church, uh, preaching on miracles. I was talking about how God uh, meets us you know, in our moments of despair and weakness. And after I was done preaching, my wife came up to me and said, the doctor called uh, with your blood test results and it does not look good. You need to go to the hospital right now. I remember hearing those words and I was completely shocked. Uh, you know, I went to our prayer team and got prayer and then I rushed to the hospital. When I saw the doctor, the doctor said to me, you are so lucky to be alive because uh, my blood test report uh, shows that I was at a severe risk for a stroke. And uh, they were really concerned and they thought I would arrive uh, completely disorientated you know, and, and in need of uh, immediate hospitalization, but I showed up fine. And all this to say, you know, I was discharged, but they, they diagnosed me with a medical condition and I left and uh, you know, I was feeling all sorts of despair because I felt like a failure. I felt like uh, I didn't take good care of myself and I wasn't you know, deserving of being a pastor of anyone, right? And you know, I got back home uh, the next day you know, and I remember I was at home alone and I was at home processing all this information and felt just a great weight of despair upon uh, my life, you know, I was so first of all, you know, uh, sad that I had this kind of medical condition. I was wondering if it would pass down to my kids. I was wondering if I would be a burden to my wife. I was wondering whether I would deserve to be a pastor in the first place. And I was also having all these feelings of disappointment, of anger, of sadness towards God. You know, I felt completely, uh, you know, I felt completely abandoned by, by God. You know, I was saying to myself, like, I literally work for God and I work for the church. I'm a pastor and I'm battling these things, and all of a sudden, all oh, those feelings uh, caved in on me. You know, it felt like 
rocks uh, that just like appeared out of nowhere. They just caved in on me all of a sudden and I felt like I was in complete and utter despair. And at a moment, let me be honest with you, I felt like I was going to take my life. I was at home alone. There was no one uh, watching me. You know, I felt completely abandoned by everyone, even though it was not true. I felt abandoned by God, even though that was not true. But it felt like the realest thing at that point of time. And I felt like the only reasonable thing to do was to take my own life, not be a burden to others. And I wrestled that thought for four hours. I wrestled the thought and I contemplated how I was going to do it. I contemplated how I was going to write a note to my wife and I contemplated all these things and it was real. It was so, so real. It felt like I could do it at any point in time. And you know, at that point in time, I made uh, what now in hindsight would be a really wise decision. I went on social media, I went on Facebook to try and distract myself. And uh, the first article I saw uh, on Facebook was an article of a pastor who was similar age as I was, you know, he had a wife and three kids. And the article was of this pastor taking his own life in his office after battling with a bout of depression. And now, something happened to me when I read that article. I was immediately shaken out of that stupor and immediately I came to my senses and I battled and I pushed away that thought of suicide. And I said, no, this is not what I'm going to do to my wife. Now, ever since, you know, that, that occasion, you know, I've had couple of times and multiple times, you know, that, that I battle with some kind of anxiety and a couple of times where I battled with some kind of suicidal thoughts and thinking. But all this to say, at that point in time, I was a lead pastor. I was pastoring a church. I was doing everything that a good Christian should do. I was reading the Bible. I was praying. I was in church literally every day. I was serving God. I was doing His mission. I was doing all these things. I was preaching from the pulpit. Yet, I battled with mental illness. I'm battled with a condition in my mind. And so all this to say, mental illness can affect any of us, whether you're a pastor, Sunday school teacher, faithful church goer, you're doing all the right spiritual stuff, it can still affect you. We are all susceptible if we let our guard down. And perhaps some of you are listening today, you're part of this congregation, you serve every Saturday, every Sunday, and you too resonate these feelings of battling with some kind of war, you know, some kind of uh, uh, onslaught on your mind. The church then, you know, because we are all susceptible, it is to be a place of safety, of community, where those who are struggling can be honest, get prayer, get support, get community to rally around them, and be assisted in finding professional help if it, to be, if it is to be necessary. While we all can't be mental health experts, we all can't understand the complexities of what people go through. We aren't all psychologists or psychiatrists. We aren't able to make diagnosis. While we all can't be mental health experts, we can be experts in loving people well. And that is the church. The church, far beyond whatever we do by way of activity, we are called to be experts in loving people well. And not just people who are like us, but people who struggle, people who suffer, people who are different. That is what the church is called to be. We're called to be that kind of community that models a radical, dissimilar kind of love. That is what we're called to do. I'd like to close off with three points of what the church community is to be. 
first off, the church community is to be a community for the broken, right? If you were to remove all the books of the Bible that were written by murderers, you would have to remove the first five books that were penned by Moses, was a murderer. You have to remove most of the Psalms who were written by David. You had to remove most of the New Testament was written by Paul. And then you'll be left with a really, really thin Bible. Maybe some of you might enjoy having a thin Bible. But all this to say, my point is the church, God's kingdom, is on a redemptive and restorative mission and vision. God does not ever write us off just because we mess up. But in spite of however broken and flawed we are, He uses us for His glory. And this is what the church is to be. The church is to be a community for the broken, where we don't despise those who struggle and those who battle, but we celebrate them, we wrap our arms around them, trusting that God is able to bring a deep work of deliverance and raise them into health and wholeness once again. This is what the church is to be. Second vision of the church as a community is this, the church is to be a community of hope. Now we commonly understand by secular definition that hope is a kind of wishful thinking, right? We hope that this happens, we hope that that happens. But the biblical word for hope is so much more robust and powerful. It is the word LPs and it means the confident expectation of good. And that is what the Christian community is to be, is to be a community of hope. Now, isn't that what the cross of Jesus is? The cross of Jesus was a means of Roman execution, grotesque, dark, and, and utterly vile. But that means of execution, that cross becomes a symbol of beauty today. Why? Because Jesus on that cross, on that dark, evil cross redeem all of creation and now what is dark what is evil has been redeemed into something of beauty and that is the christian hope that god is able to turn our darkest moments our deepest hurts into testimonies that testify of his glory god is able to turn our greatest tragedy into something that is of beauty that is the christian hope the Psalms tells us this, up in Proverbs it tells us this, that gracious words are honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. I'd like to say to you that you never know the power of a spoken word. You never know the power of an encouraging word. You never know the power of a word of hope to the individual. Let's be a community of hope. Let's encourage those who suffer. Let's encourage those who battle. Let's be a people of hope this day. This is, that is hope. Hope does its best work in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of despair. And as Christians, we are not to shy away and move away from darkness, from hopelessness. Instead, we are all the more supposed to be drawn to it to bring forth God's light and deliverance. And the last call for the church uh, as a community pertaining to mental health is this, that we are called to be a community that is present. Studies show that we're living in what is described as a loneliness epidemic. When she was Prime Minister of the UK, Theresa May uh, set up a ministry, an entire ministry for loneliness. She appointed a minister for loneliness. And that's all to say that Britney Spears had it right when she says, my loneliness is killing me. Right? The artist Love wrote this song called Modern Loneliness, where he writes the lyrics, modern loneliness, we're never alone, but we're always depressed. Isn't that so uh, telling and so how well that captures the state of our world today. Mother Teresa calls loneliness the leprosy of the modern world. And to this condition of loneliness that is prevalent all through our world today, the scripture says that God sets the lonely in families. And the antidote to loneliness is the warmth, embrace, and acceptance of a loving family. And I put it to you that the church is to be a family, is to be a people that wraps its arms around the lonely. 
Now, there's a story of a four-year-old girl who uh, was battling with nightmares uh, every night. And one night, she went to her parents' room and she told them, I am so scared. Uh, can you please be with me? And her mom uh, went over to her and started praying for her and comforting her and saying that, hey, do not fear, do not despair, God is with you. And she led her daughter back into the room. And as she put her daughter back to bed, she said, hey, God is with you. Do not be afraid. He is with you here. And as she begins to walk out the room, her daughter screams and exclaims, mom, please stay in this room with me. And the, the mom then goes on to her and says, hey, you know, don't you know that God is with you? And the daughter says, I know that God is with me, but I need someone here tonight with me that has skin on. And isn't that what Jesus did for you and I? Jesus came 2,000 years ago, incarnate in the flesh, because he knows that we need someone with skin in our midst. And he came to heal, to save, to deliver. And today, Jesus has skin on in our world today, and it's through his church. And the people of God, we are the body of Christ, called to be the presence of Christ for those who suffer, for those who struggle. That is what God did for us. And in an essence, to love is to enter into someone else's world, just as Jesus did for us. He came in the flesh to be among his people who so desperately need him. And today, his church has the same mission, to enter into the world of those who suffer, to be with them, to bring God's love, God's truth, and God's hope. And so to close off, I have some parting questions for you to consider, to uh, spend time thinking, to uh, internalize in your spirit today. These are the parting questions. First off, are communities a safe place for those who hurt, are broken, and perhaps are different from us? There's a question that is worth diving into. Next question is this, will we be committed to walking with those who struggle for the long haul? It's really easy to say that I'll be with you, but what if that struggle is a long-term, long-haul struggle that requires endurance and persistence? Will we stand true in that day? And the last question is this, are we fully convinced of the message of hope that is the gospel of Jesus Christ to bring life, healing, and transformation? And those are questions I would like to put across to you today to sit to consider, to think about this day. You know, to close off, you know, I'd like to uh, share one last story before I pray for you. And I came to faith through a tuition teacher who uh, tutored me all the way through primary school. I remember one day, you know, I was having a really, really bad day and I got to a house and I was crying. I was really sad. I had a whole lot of uh, different things I was battling with. And she sat with me and uh, she then proceeded to preach the gospel to me. Uh, she shared about her faith, she shared about the story of the Bible, and uh, in that moment, I came to faith. I came to faith, and after I had done, I was done crying, you know, and doing all that, that kind of stuff, she gave me a cup of hot Milo and a packet of biscuits. And uh, I still remember that moment when she gave me the hot Milo, a packet of biscuits, I felt so loved, I felt so warmth and known in this time. Now, if you ask me today, what was the content of the gospel to which she preached to me? How did she put across the message of salvation to me? I couldn't tell you a single thing. If you ask me what was the content of the prayer to which she prayed for me, I couldn't tell you a single thing. But I could remember the act of love where she brought me a cup of Milo and a pack of the biscuits. This is what I would like to say to us, that people may forget the message that we preach. People may forget the gospel that we bring. People may forget the prayers that we pray for them, but people will never forget the small little acts of love that we're willing to do for them, where we're willing to go the extra mile to be with them, to stand with them, to love on them in their time of despair and suffering. And so I want to encourage us as the church, as a community of people, as a community of hope, as a community who is broken in its 
in its unique way as a community who is called to be present with those who suffer, to love well in this day, to love those who struggle, because that is what Jesus would do. He would enter into the world of those who suffer in order to be with them. Let's be such a church. And so in closing, I'd like to close this time with uh, a prayer for us as a church community. But before that, I'd like to pray for those of you who are currently struggling with uh, certain mental conditions. And you know full well that you struggle with feelings of anxiety, of depression this day. Maybe you're not known, you're hidden in this community. I'd like to pray for you this day that the God of peace, God who is peace himself, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And I pray for you this day that the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, the peace of God, He who is the Prince of Peace, who crushes the head of the enemy, will be upon you this day. I invite you right now, wherever you're at, if you know you're struggling, I invite you right now to close your eyes, put your hands in front of you as I pray for you in this moment. God, I pray for these special ones. God, we recognize that this is a fight, it is a battle. God, we invite your Spirit to come upon these precious ones who battle. God, I ask for your peace to be upon them. And God, I also ask that you give them courage to bring these things to light and to give them courage to ask for help. Give them courage to call for the community, the body of Christ to come alongside them, to wrap its arms around them, to love for them, to stand with them, and to believe with them for transformation. God, I pray this day that you inspire fresh hope in their spirits, to hope in you once again. I pray these things in your name. Amen. And all for the rest of you, I'd like to pray for you as well, that we will embody and capture this vision of being a community that stands with the broken, a community that hopes in God and a community that is present with those who struggle. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you've called us to be the body of Christ, that the church is not a building we attend, we go to, it's not an event we attend, or it's not an experience we consume, but it is the people of God, it's the family of God. God, we pray that in this day, even as we are separated and far from each other, Lord, we pray that you help us capture this vision of what it means to be a body, what it means to be a family for those who suffer, for those who struggle, for those who are lonely. Help us be your church this day. God, we pray that you'll use us to be your hands and feet to a broken world. Use us, O oh God, to be your skin, to be your body, to people in need of your presence. Use us, O oh God, to manifest your love in small, tangible ways. Use us, O oh God, for the work of the kingdom. Use us, O oh God, to bring forth transformation and healing to those who are broken. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for having me. Blessings to you. Grace and peace.